Welcome. I'm Bronwyn Maddox. I'm Director of the Institute for Government. Delighted to have you here for this discussion with uh, Danuta Hubner, Polish Member of the European Parliament, Chair of the European Parliament's Committee on Constitutional Affairs and uh, member of um, some of its other committees. And she is very kindly going to come and talk to us about that really very, very valuable thing at this point in the Brexit debate, which is the perspective not just of the Parliament, but of other countries um, on where we have got to and on indeed what Britain is asking in all this and what those countries' interests are. Um, Danuta is a very, very kindly said she'll start uh, for a few minutes. She's already just been grilled by the BBC this morning. Um, she will start for a few minutes by talking about, uh, in her view, some of the main points about uh, Britain, Brexit, and the European Parliament. And then I'll um, ask her some questions, but I know a lot of you have questions, and we'll go pretty quickly to that. With that, very warm welcome from us. Thank you. I hope it works, right? So it I will work, yeah. It will work. Well, thank you very much for the invitation. I just would like probably to start with something that belongs to the European Parliament cuisine. We are actually forbidden as committees to travel to UK. And um, so I'm just, as a, as a chair of committee, it's true, but, but, uh, but I, I couldn't come with my committee, which would be probably more interesting for you if you could listen to also different political groups that we have in the in the committee. But before I say what, what is the challenge for the European Parliament, I would like to maybe to underline the fact that um, the, these negotiations, this whole process in, in which we are and we have to get through, uh, through it somehow is not just one-off event. When normally when you step down or leave a, an international organization, it's just one-off event. But here it's not the case. It is actually the process which uh, will trigger or is triggering already as uh, very serious consequences in terms of different actions, adjustments, and will have, uh, uh, will, will be, and is already very multidimensional and has uh, legal, political, economic, social, all sorts, institutional, all sorts of consequences, both short term and, and long uh, term. And this is something also, there is something also very special about this process that normally the international negotiations or negotiations. Uh, related to somebody uh, leaving or somebody negotiating with uh, somebody else in, in terms of the international relations, uh, a, a deal, if you don't reach the deal, you go back to the status quo. It is not the case here. If we don't reach uh, the deal, there will be probably the most serious consequences of the whole exercise uh, in this situation. So that also makes this process uh, very specific. What else uh, makes also this process very specific is that it is at this stage practically negotiations between European institutions and a member state. Then in the future we will be negotiating between member states uh, with more participation of the member states. Uh, but actually behind all that there is a lot of, a huge number of stakeholders who will be affected very, uh, very strongly by, by, by this process. So, so it's also uh, something that makes uh, this exercise very, uh, very uh, difficult. And actually, we have been negotiating so far without knowing what is the final destination. So we are involved in a process which is uh, not uh, really leading yet to anything that we would know about, because we know very well what the UK does not want, but we don't know much, or we don't know enough about what the UK would like to have as the, at the end of this, uh, of this road. So having said that, I just would like to, 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 to just of, to, uh, give you the impression of, of also our feelings in the European uh, Parliament when we have to bear 
uh, in mind or take into account all, all those specificities of this uh, of this um, uh, process. And as you know, all European institutions are involved in the process. Uh, and uh, also, I would say, in spite of the fact that the withdrawal and transition belong practically to European um, uh, competences, member states are also involved at the technical level, at the uh, in the whole process of sharing the information, of contributing to the uh, position, uh, also influencing the uh, the mandate. Uh, so we are uh, also other institutions like Conference of the Regions, also Economic and Social Committee, they produce from time to time also their opinions, their views, they also listen to what Michel Barnier wants to share with, uh, with them. So there is a broad involvement of uh, practically across the institutional board of the European Union. Now when it comes to the Parliament, we are, I say, who cares about European Parliament normally uh, in, in this kind of process? But we are important because at the end of the process we will come, and especially my committee, and probably I will also uh, bear uh, most of the responsibility for this, we will have to come with what we call consent procedures. So once the deal, hopefully by the end of October, maybe early November, is finalized, uh, we will have to look into, into this deal and recommend, as committee recommends to the plenary session, to all the colleagues in the parliament, whether we um, accept the, the deal or whether we suggest uh, or recommend to reject the agreement, withdrawal agreement, including the uh, transition. That's the first big role of the European uh, Parliament, knowing also the, uh, that the dynamics, political dynamics within any parliament can, mm. can, be, can just mm. shift this way or that way. We have taken this extremely seriously and we have done we, I mean those who established or decided how the parliament will be structured for the uh, Brexit process, that we have, we agreed that we have to make everything that people in the European Parliament feel they are well informed, feel that they are also contributing to the European position, uh, feel that they are also talking to everybody who would like to talk to us so that we have also uh, open ears and open eyes towards uh, all stakeholders, be it the coming from the uh, UK, uh, Ireland, or from any other uh, country, including US, who is also has developed some taste for the information on, uh, on uh, Brexit. And because of that, we have this Brexit steering group uh, in the parliament, uh, which has been established by a decision of the leaders, political leaders and the, and the president, which includes uh, major, five major political groups which have 75% majority in the European uh, Parliament. So we have all those uh, people uh, from representing those political groups in the Brexit steering group, plus the chair of the Constitutional Affairs uh, Committee, and we practically uh, meet weekly. Uh, we have a very frequent meeting with Michel Barnier, also individually, I have regular <coughs> meeting with Michel Barnier on, on also on individual basis for issues which are important also for me to uh, to understand and to uh, know. We contribute to all the positions of the European Union, um, so we are consulted and with the right to contribute in this process of contributing. We also involve different committees from the uh, 
parliament. We are briefed and debriefed by uh, Michelle before and after every negotiation session. Uh, my committee had, uh, j just to conclude on my committee a little bit, uh, my committee had uh, uh, more than around 25 hearings uh, over the last uh, year and a half with many colleagues coming also from UK. I can tell you, I don't know how, to, uh, how you feel about it, but each time we look for experts on, uh, for the hearing on Brexit-related issues, but not necessarily UK-side-related issues, but Brexit-related issues, we usually end up with a list of professors who are here on, the, on this island, and that's, uh, uh, which is also an effort so not to discriminate on the continental uh, think tanks and universities. It's, it's always an effort to find somebody who would not uh, work currently here on, on, um, in the universities or institution, research institutions here in the in, in UK. So we had a lot of, and I just, um, we also, I have an index of my meetings. I had over the last two years 215 meetings related to Brexit because all the stakeholders, I told you there are many of them, uh, they are coming, be it the British government representatives or devolved territories, both the parliamentary dimension and the executive. Uh, dimension, the think tanks, the sectors, the citizens, uh, practically everybody also from here is coming to European Parliament to, to share, to also understand our uh, perception of the, of the challenges. So we are very strongly involved in the whole uh, process. So that uh, makes me feel a little bit maybe safer than otherwise, that at the end of the process in the European Parliament, nobody will be able to tell me I don't know anything, nobody consulted with me, I'm against, it's a black box for me, uh, it's impossible. We have everybody really involved, informed, and mm -hmm. um, we share, we have website, we share all the documents, and the, so that's how we approach it with, I think, uh, utmost uh, sort of accountability to citizens across the current EU and, and responsibility for the, uh, for the whole process, but the process is dramatically difficult, absolutely mm. terribly difficult, I would say, and I still believe, even though the beginning, the, what is behind us was difficult because we were all learning, it's for the first time uh, in the history that we are doing, both sides are doing, it was challenging, difficult, I think a lot we have seen on the British side, a lot of learning, I think, we, we just, if I can say it euphemistically a bit like this, but also on our uh, side, but what I think is ahead of us, it's much, much more difficult because it is, we have to do parallelly a lot of things between now and October, and we have to finalize by the end of October, at least at the latest beginning November, to be on time with the consent procedure in the European Parliament, which even if we do it through the fastest possible track, and only in English, uh, it takes time. We need then, of course, the decision on the, uh, the member state, the council level, at uh, the European Council level, and then you can have Valonia anywhere asking mm. also for time to, to give mm. an opinion mm. at national level. Let's hope it will not be the case because there's no need for, uh, for that. But then we have also the British, um, the Westminster, Westminster also somehow uh, approving of what was negotiated, and we were worrying a little bit when we heard from uh, State Secretary David Davies that it might be end of March or the second half of March. It's very late and that's why uh, the certainty will come extremely late in the last minute and my last sentence and that's why I think on the EU side uh, even, even though we don't have commissioner for no deal like you have a minister for no deal 
but uh, we have to envisage the possibility that there will be no deal and we have to be prepared for that uh, as well. So maybe I just finish Please on this. Uh, Donata, thank you very much indeed. Um, I found the beginning of what you're saying at least very reassuring in the sense that you know, the, the people do talk about the European Parliament here. Uh, mainly with a sense of worry that you know, supposing um, Britain manages to get a position that um, uh, the cabinet agrees with and that can get through Parliament, uh, that, that is agreed with uh, uh, um, Barnier's team, uh, supposing that there is a deal, um, the kind of question you hear here is, could the European Parliament come along and uh, you know, vote down the whole thing? And from what you've said, you feel that the Parliament really does have a lot of input into this, that you have the chance to make all your views known to, to, to Barnier's team, to the, to the Commission and so on. Is, it, is that right? I, that's that actually right? Uh, that's my feeling, but it, it just doesn't come from watching the reality. We are working on it all the time yeah. because we know how... Uh, how easy, I, I still think that, I'm sorry, maybe we can mm -hmm. dispute on this, uh, have a dispute mm -hmm. on this, but I still believe that Brexit is largely by accident, so you can mm -hmm. also have accident in, in yes. the yes. Uh, institution like a, like a parliament, all of yes. a sudden, because mm -hmm. something happens and there is a mode shifting, and uh, uh, that's why we, 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 it was so important for us to have the political groups on board. Yeah. Uh, not individuals, but political groups. So we have the political uh, European Poli um, Popular uh, EPP. I'm sorry, I hope you know the mm -hmm. acronyms. It's very difficult for me even to, to, to... The socialists, we have the, uh, the, all the liberals we have, uh, and we have also the Greens, and we have also the GUE, which is far left, let's, let's call it like, uh, like this. So, and they all together have 75%. We have normally... Uh, we had three resolutions. I didn't say we, we work mm. also as any parliament's resolutions, which are political statements. So we had three of them before the, uh, the at the very beginning, then in the middle, uh, and then last uh, last uh, yeah. November or October. And now we will have a fourth one in in March, and we have a growing support. So we have uh, last time I think we had 540 or something like that out of 751 um, uh, in favor of the resolution. And it's not. Uh, it, uh, of course, it doesn't mean that we like everything which was negotiated and the results of negotiations, but that shows that people care about the process and are asking, are being involved. And, and of course, the most difficult issue for, for me would be the, the Irish issue, but the most mm. important politically today is the citizens' issue. Right. And the European Parliament right. is, is most involved in it. Right. And I can know also, I can imagine that we will not have a 100% satisfaction mm. uh, for the citizens mm. because there will be, the cases are so different and there will be always some mm. people who will not find <coughs> the solution for their concrete mm. situation mm. and the mm. deal. But, but we have, Parliament has invested mm. a lot in pushing in this direction mm. to get the, uh, the, the, the final deal, hopefully, the closest possible to the current situation mm. where the full rights mm. are, are with mm. us. Well, as you said, there are a lot of different groups there in the Parliament, a lot of different voices. Um, apart from citizens' rights, what are the other uh, questions, themes, that the Parliament really, really cares about? Mm. Well, we were, uh, as, as, uh, for reasons which uh, probably there are some reasons behind that, we agreed that for the, to move, we agreed first of all, we decided first of all as the union, it was quite a challenge to convince our friends here that we have to do it in set, with certain sequencing. That first we have to discuss what is about withdrawal, uh, then we also have to have the framework for the future, to know the framework, and the Article 50 is asking us 
for having the framework before we finalize the withdrawal, including transition um, agreement. <coughs> Uh, but we wanted first to discuss, to advance the, the issues related to withdrawal because there was a tendency, which I must say I can understand on the British side, immediately to jump, jump to the future. Referendum was not about the future. Referendum was just asking people stay or leave. Uh, and the, the future is the real challenge, so I can understand that everybody would like to know and negotiate the future. But first of all, we never got the information on what will be the future in constructive sense. Uh, imagine what is the, the vision that UK um, has. Uh, but we still insisted on leaving because we have to have the withdrawal agreement uh, by within the two years, the whole procedure. And the uh, future agreement, we can only negotiate once you are out, right? Once uh, you are a third country. So we knew that if we don't advance the beginning, we will there is a lot of risk. And now I see that it was a very smart movement that we had to get. Um, and we chose from the withdrawal agreement issues, we chose three as those who are absolutely decisive for, uh, for the first uh, phase of the mm. negotiations. And, and I think rightly so. Mm. But that doesn't mean that we are today done with entire withdrawal. There is a lot of issues related to the separation which have not been touched where or where the, we ha don't have the common uh, agreement or the joint understanding of the challenge. On some issues, we don't have yet the British uh, position. So now the challenge is really to see this as a priority. We have to finalize the, the withdrawal part of it. Parallelly, we have to convert what we already have into legal text, so which is another uh, challenge. Parallelly, we have also to have some very exploratory or initial talks also on the future to come by October to this, uh, what the treaty calls uh, framework for the, for the future. Mm -hmm. So no negotiations about the future. This will be really the third country agreement. Uh, but the framework has to be uh, decided. And the, we are not yet uh, there. Mm. So we have to do all those things parallelly. And parallelly, we have to do the technical level, the political level. We have to do also the information campaign. So a lot of things mm. which will have to be done in the months to come. And the time is really practically it's tomorrow, mm. the, 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 the mm. October. Yes, I um, entirely agree on that. What, what's the Parliament's, what, what are the views in the Parliament about the transition? Uh, we, we made it clear practically at the very beginning. It's not far from what everybody on the continent is saying. Mm -hmm. uh, so we, we would, we, first of all, we didn't want to sit. Uh, we understood that there might be a need for it, but it was up to the Brits to, uh, to decide, uh, as we are saying. Uh, in, in all speeches of Madame May, of your Prime Minister, uh, she was calling it implementing period mm -hmm. or implementation period. I don't remember. It was from the Lancaster, I think, all the time. Uh, in, in, in this a long time ago. Yes, but it was through time flies. And, uh, uh, but, but it is about transition, meaning that you have to, um, uh, to to go out to be a third country to negotiate the future, and you cannot have it overnight. So if you leave on the 29th of March uh, next year, and I thought I think that you, you say Central European time, no, British the, the British time, it will be midnight probably on our on the continent. Uh, but uh, but you, you have you cannot negotiate it in the meantime, so you need transition even from that point of view. But it's also transition is a little bit extending the, the time for the preparation as well. So we can see this aspect of the transition. 
um, as well. So, but we don't want the transition to be extended without limits and to replace practically the future agreement, because mm, yeah. uh, probably for some circles here it wouldn't be acceptable either. Uh, so, so that's why we, 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 in the European Parliament, first resolution, we, we talked about no more than three years. So, but, but it was not important two or three years. Uh, the important thing was that might be time. There might be a time limit for uh, for the transition. And secondly, we agreed with all those who who believed from the very beginning that there will not be sufficient time to have a bespoke transition agreement to even mm. even to have the EEA, European Economic Area, type of mm. of transition. So the only way to to uh, organize the transition was practically to prolong or kind of status quo prolong mm -hmm. the, the, the current uh, situation. The, the Article 50 sort of. Yes, yeah, so, and that, yeah. uh, so, so we will have the transition period which will mean uh, the same uh, that the UK will practically uh, be, uh, not only practically, will be in the single market and in the European Union, custom union, and uh, with ECJ of course, um, <coughs> but will not participate because the at the same time, not being a member because membership will end up in uh, the 29th of March, so or 30th of March. Uh, so we will have the situation where you will not be, but the British. I'm sorry, I know that you are not on the UK, so I shouldn't say you, but uh, the UK will not be participating in the whole institutional framework decision making. No Brits around the table when we will be fine tuning, fine tuning horrible directives or regulation that nobody will be liking here. Or, so that's of course the challenge for the British side, but that's the only way we can uh, we can do it. Uh, so this is actually the, also the position of the of the Parliament. Yeah. We didn't want to have the just, just to extend the status yeah. quo as, as really the only way you could do that. We, that transition. We think so because yeah. there's no time to have a bespoke agreement, which yeah. uh, which is yeah. actually as we see is the case. Yeah. Um, a lot of people would agree with you that technically that is by far um, you know, the easiest way. Uh, it is politically one of the more difficult things here mm. to propose to do that, but we're, we're, um, we'll, we'll come on to that. Um, you, say, you said at the beginning something that uh, you know, British officials and ministers hear a lot. Uh, what is the British position? We're waiting to hear. And in a way, the UK thinks it's been very clear. It wants a bespoke agreement. Uh, much more access than Canada, many fewer restrictions than, say, under a Norway model. And at the moment, that's not something that Barnier's team is saying will happen. Um, but it seems to me the UK, you know, without being very specific about what it wants in that, is quite clear that it wants that middle ground. Yeah. What do you think the chances are of but that you happening? Know, when you say bespoke agreement, I can say, okay, fine, bespoke agreement. But mm. then what do you mean by bespoke agreement? Because it, it can be a bespoke agreement, but a bespoke agreement that is responding mm. or meeting all the red lines of the European Union, mm. which, is, uh, which is the integrity of single market, and mm. uh, uh, which is if you, if you just have mm. a part of the, um, mm. if you are only in, like Turkey, in the custom union with European unions, but you are not part of the European Union custom union, then immediately you have checks on the on the border, and uh, also you have to also understand that the um, in the, in trade uh, within the European Union, it's not only about the the custom union, it's not only about the customs. It is increasingly, I would say, about these norms and standards which belong to the single market. So if you like everything that related to food, but also the security of all the products, safety and uh, 
and all the technical standards which uh, the, which belong to uh, not to the custom union, I would say, but to the um, uh, internal uh, market. So for us, bespoke agreement. Um, if you say CETA plus, no, there was this uh, one plus, of the plus plus plus, and then maybe plus plus plus. plus, plus so yes. and, and then mm -hmm. I think response of Barnier would be yes, CETA plus security agreement or CETA plus. Um, uh, agreement on on, uh, on aviation or on fisheries, so in this sense, plus yes, but not <laughs> CETA plus no, in the sense of cherry picking or picking up uh, issues from the single market, and <laughs> this is out of question. So I think that the red lines of the European Union, which were from the very beginning in all the guidelines mm. and directives, and mm. uh, they will be repeated probably till the uh, till the mm. end, is that you cannot dismantle the. Uh, the, the integrated integrity of the single market that is absolutely uh, crucial. And it's not a political argument. If you look into how single market actually works, you can see that there is a lot of interdependencies and to single out something, uh, you would have to identify, you would see that there are so many links mm. to other uh, areas and, and this is true for, for the four major freedoms, but it is also true within all those freedoms that there is it is impossible to, to see that you can um, pick up from the single market some of the issues. And, and mm -hmm. uh, so either you, you take uh, the, the entire, um, entirety of it or, or you don't. But, but then if, 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 if your red line is to be out of single market and out of customs union, then, uh, yeah. then you cannot have a bespoke agreement just like part of all those things. No, that, that's not possible. Uh, but of course, the, there is a, 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 a challenge for, for the future if you don't want to take the European economy career, for example, as a, mm. as a, a become a member through EFTA. There is procedure probably for it, which uh, which is important uh, to to also understand. But or if you don't, if you want um, uh, something that would. Uh, uh, be, for example, the single market for financial services, but not the rest, then, then we, we cannot have it, for example. There's no way that UK can, can accept it. But bespoke in the sense that it will be kind of free trade agreement, but somehow we have to find the way how the financial sector has to be coped with. Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. I, I'm sure that it will be based on, on equivalence mm -hmm. on, on or adequacies on this type of, uh, of approach on the, on the EU. Uh, side, but would require a lot of monitoring and enforcement mechanisms, and, and uh, th that's uh, that's clear. Uh, then, if you if you want a, some sort of custom union, as I heard from Robin Walker, I think at the beginning, or I don't remember who it was, because you also change minister from time to time, and we so the other comes comes, and uh, uh, so it's we uh, change prime minister no, no, too from time yeah, to time. No, <laughs> Yeah, it's sometimes fortunately in some member states you have also changes of prime ministers. Mm. But, um, uh, but I also think that if, if you think of the custom, you have to be aware that if you step out of it uh, and, and just want only to pick up something, uh, then you will have mm. the, the, the borders. And that's why the mm. Irish issue, I think, will re mm. remain as the most difficult, mm. in my view, the most difficult issues. Really then you will have to have a a, a sort of regulatory cooperation in this, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which is a bespoke thing. So it's a, uh, because if you if you want to, to, you will have to keep standards on some areas. For example, no, if you if you take equivalence, there must be also a, a control. And and then you you also need the situations um, where there will be conflict. So we need need also a mechanism for the conflict solving or 
and then also to execute the the arbitration outcome. Or uh, so so there is a and there is a lot of sort of models for for those things in different agreements that we have with Ukraine was also is also often mentioned. So. Finally, it might be a bespoke, but not in the sense of, mm. I hate to use this cherry picking because it's just sort of devalued very much, mm. but not in the sense mm. of picking mm. up here and there. Okay, well, th thank what you. What tastes good we, and what does not, no, no. Yeah, well, we might dig into that a bit in questions, <laughs> what bespoke uh, means and, and so on. Let me just ask you finally, before we go to questions, you mentioned uh, preparations for no deal on the <laughs> continental side. Um, what's the nature of those been and how far have they gone? You know, uh, but, but I'm speaking here as private because I, I'm not doing it, sorry. I know that there's a special, yeah. I can only imagine how, yeah. how I would do it if I were doing it. Yeah. But, uh, uh, but I think you, both the situation where finally the transition comes to the end, mm -hmm. uh, you, UK leaves the European, it doesn't matter whether it leaves in an orderly manner, it just leaves. So a lot of work uh, has to be done also on the EU side, also in the member states. Because a lot of relations with you, some there are relations with UK as a member of European Union, but bilateral relations. No? You, you can have in, in various sectors, as, as you know, European competences are not covering uh, everything that is moving on, on the territory of the European Union. So there is also a, a lot of things which have to be done at the uh, bilateral level in a way that would not lead to the race to the bottom on the EU side. So we have this challenge um, as, as well. Uh, but but I, I think definitely when you, when you mean no deal, you don't only mean that you have to sit or at the end of the transition process that you have to sit and get UK out of the treaty. This can be done uh, sometime in the future with the first change of the treaty. I don't know if it will be mm. Serbia or it will be something different that would take us to the treaty change. But you have a lot of uh, issues much more serious than just getting UK out of the treaty. You have a lot of directives and regulations. You have also areas where UK is more involved or less involved. You have um, opt-outs. Uh, so there is a lot of things across the legal framework of the European Union where we have to see the, the consequences. And these consequences, in any case, where UK is out, will, 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 be, will have to be mm. controlled, taking, identified and taken care of. Or if there is no deal, it's also UK goes out, mm. so we have to we have to do it. So, so there is this this work to be uh, to be done. I think identification across the, the board, the consequences, and and the big thing is of course the international agreements in this mm. context. Mm. Uh, it, it's in any way important, but in, in case of no deal, uh, as well, uh, then you have to identify the problems for the member states who will just. Mm face overnight, uh, the, the biggest thing is this overnight thing, most likely, if you don't have the deal, because it will not give us yes. two years to, to, to yeah. adjust. Yeah. And you will have all the, I mean, the lorries, the planes, the everything you can imagine, uh, it just all those things have to be taken into, yeah. into account. Yeah. So I, 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 my imagination tells me that nobody is dreaming of this situation, and we hope it will never come. Uh, but the end of the membership will come. So a lot of work mm. on the EU side has to be done, like you are doing the withdrawal mm. uh, bill. So it has we, to be done anyway. It has to be done anyway. So, yeah. but by yeah. and, and also will serve a situation yeah. which hopefully will not emerge, which yeah. is no deal. Yeah. Let's have some questions. Start here in the front. A lot of hands up immediately. If you can say, I'm going to take them one at a time at the beginning at least. 
Juliet Samuel from The Telegraph. Um, I wondered if you could say something about what you think Poland's priorities will be in the negotiation um, for the future relationship and uh, assuming there might be an election during that time, although it looks like the government at the moment is doing quite well in the polls, but I just wondered what you think the, um, their priorities will be. Thank you. Yeah, I want me to one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think that from the very beginning the priority was citizens because you and I think there was this problem of of uh, uh, I think the, the current government especially would like to have all the polls back in Poland and have Poland first strong and with all the citizens there, uh, which is uh, to a certain extent maybe happening. I don't know even the current data how much of those more than 900 that we. Uh, think are here. How many of them uh, have uh, already go, go back to gone back to to Poland? Uh, but I think the citizens issue will continue to be, and Poland will be sort of looking at it, uh, or even for political reasons. So I think this is something. Uh, but then U UK has always been always an important um, uh, commercial uh, trade partner, but not as important as it is for the Netherlands or Germany or Belgium or France or it's a, so I think that Poland I don't see any really except for citizens uh, very specific different um, priority for for Poland that would not be part of the uh, of the common priorities maybe they will look into the structure probably for agriculture more than for uh, for other exports from uh, from Poland in terms of uh, importance of the market, I just mm. I, I don't know. Uh, I'm sure that there is a work being done there. And uh, uh, but for Poland, just to f finish it, for Poland, of course, UK was a uh, UK has always been seen as a you know, whatever government I would say as a special partner. I remember also from negotiations for which I was responsible for uh, that that uh, UK was an important. Uh, partner, even though we always uh, had the suspicion that U UK is so strong in favor because that gave the big enlargement to the East, gave the chance to water down, was giving the chance to water down the, uh, the integration uh, process to avoid the, uh, the uh, deepening of it. Where I think there will be a, a negative consequence from countries like Poland is, is the, that the group of non-Euro countries where UK has been playing always a, a leading role also because of its potential, economic potential and, uh, uh, and even though the, uh, the legal situation is different because derogation of UK is, is of different nature than, than the, the other countries are in, but UK was a very important leader of this group and gave them political sort of strengths uh, with, uh, with UK leaving the non-Euro group uh, will be less uh, important. It is a group which is also, I would say, contaminated a little bit with certain Euroscepticism of political elites, so that's also a, an important factor. And I also think that with UK leaving generally the uh, political weight and political center of the European will move towards Euro much more strongly than it has been uh, so far. So for <coughs> Poland, it's a uh, it's an important factor yeah. for the good and for the bad, uh, which Thank they you. have to take into account. Thank you. In, in the middle here. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Uh, Nassim from the One Campaign. Um, I just wanted to know um, what you think the implications would be for developing countries once the UK has left. Um, and do you think the UK will still commit to the European Development Fund after Brexit? Oh. <laughs> 
I mean, I, frankly, I don't know. I will, so please take into account the fact that I'm not involved in the development aid, and I, I know that during the budget negotiations, the sort of financial settlement negotiations, or that, that the development fund was, was extremely important because it's not part of the EU budget. It's a special um, uh, position. And but, but also what I read recently about the, uh, from the uh, British Council, I mean, there's a huge commitment, I, I understood, on the British side to... Uh, to continue the involvement in, in any kind of uh, development support through in the, in the whole world. So, I, but I don't know finally what, what is the agreement if they, if they will contribute to the EU fund or there will be a separate, um, they will do it separately. Well, whether they stop doing it through the EU. But as, I, as well. I don't think it, they will do it through question. the EU because there's no reason, but I don't yeah, know how, yeah. how this will translate to increase, I mean, yeah. where the money physically will go. Will it be more from UK directly or? Uh, so, but we can it, check it if you're interested. My assistant is sitting next to her, so she, we can check it for you. <laughs> Interesting. Over, over by the door. And if people in the next door room want to ask a question, please stick your head round. Uh, Thomas Cole, Open Britain. Do you agree with the sentiment of the statements by President Tusk and Juncker made earlier in the week that if the UK were to change its mind, this is something which would be welcomed? You know, I remember it was in November. I think we had a meeting with national parliaments because I'm responsible on behalf of European Parliament for the national parliaments, corporations, national parliaments. The only thing that got from my speech on Brexit, I was speaking after Michel, I think, Barnier, and then the only thing that got through was when I said that the door is still open, no? so that the, this option is still on. But that was the only thing that interested the media, and also it was in Express here or uh, here. But, but if you read carefully, I, I think Donald Tusk and uh, Jean-Claude Juncker said different things. Jean-Claude Juncker said there is, a, said there is Article 49, you can still apply, right? So it just it was, if you go, you can still apply. And Donald Tusk was rather saying that you can still change your your your, your view. I was believing in this that this can happen, but I thought more at the early stage. I think it's getting too late for this type of uh, of change in in, in, uh, in the whole thing. That's my that's my feeling. But if you ask me if there is this possibility of revocability of the um, in, of the notification of the intention, mm. I belong but to this before group. the UK has actually left. Yeah. Yeah. I belong to this group who believes that it is possible. It is, of course, not any more unilateral. It is already a, a multilateral, uh, in fact, process. The Article 50 at this uh, stage after the British uh, notification. But, but I, I, I'm with John Kerr on this, with Lord Kerr, that, that it is possible. But whether you have political situation in the short period changed so much that you can have another referendum, I don't know. If you, if you want to have a referendum afterwards, there's no time uh, within the two years, I can tell you, you would have to do something to have this period extended for which you need the unanimity, which I don't know if it happens. So I, I'm not, and then I can tell you, except for the individuals who are very unhappy with, uh, like the one we saw the action, there is, uh, I saw on my way, there is, there is an action of stop the Brexit, uh, join us in stop the Brexit action. Uh, but, but I think that you, you can have it, but anybody who's coming, who's representing anybody, also businesses or, or financial sector or uh, devolved territories or government, I have, haven't heard from anybody this possibility taken seriously. And I must tell you that there is sort mm. of commitment, even if we voted to stay, mm. we have to get through it mm. more than, so mm. I, I don't know, but it's of course up to you. I mean, yeah. I, I, I'm old enough to know that anything is possible. So mm. I, don't know. I wish you all the best. I also would like to see you back in the European Union. <laughs> Thank you for that, which rings <coughs> true. Uh, here on the aisle, uh, and then over here, and then I'm coming over here. 
Thanks, Brahman Dunida. You're very welcome. Um, I'm Michelle Gildern. I'm the MP for Fermanagh South Tyrone. And I know you understand the Good Friday Agreement, having headed up the Barroso Task Force. And we believe that Brexit is very much incompatible with the Good Friday Agreement and the rights of the citizens in the north of Ireland. 1.8 million people in the north of Ireland are entitled, under the Good Friday Agreement, are entitled to Irish citizenship and therefore, by dint of that, EU citizenship. And we would be very concerned. I'm hugely concerned. My constituency has uh, a very long border. I'm concerned about the impact of coming out of the customs union, out of the single market, the impact on our people, on our communities, and on all the work that's been done over the past decades to try and, and build peace. It's, it's very worrying. So we're asking for support for continued EU representation for those 1.8 million people and asking for the support for amendments 13, 595 and 144 because we really do believe that if we don't have European citizen or European representation in the Parliament that those citizens are being left behind against their will as 56% of people voted to remain within the EU. Thank you. It's a horrible question. It's very difficult. Mm. I am extremely mm. committed to everything and we had a lot of meetings and also of course Sinn Féin is extremely active and Martin Anderson in the European Parliament. Mm. I must say that we hear less often the colleagues from the UP but, mm. but uh, now they are speaking more often also in this uh, uh, but uh, mostly it's, it's you and I because nobody knows maybe not everybody knows that what uh, our colleague was referring to is the now we are preparing the law on the composition of the parliament in the next election 2019 and uh, there are those uh, th there was this idea of of, of keeping the, um, the possibility of having the representatives of the northern ireland in the european parliament mm -hmm. in, in, it's not possible that we cannot do it but you but you know that the, you, you don't have to, you, you, can, you can elect uh, Northern Ireland citizens in, the, in, in, in Ireland uh, because you, you don't have the, uh, even if you don't have territorially elections in the Northern Ireland, but those people who uh, can be elected to the European Parliament because you have double citizenship. So it's not a, so we have to look, we, we, we change this, we, we put it into yesterday, we decided to, to have also the, not only recitals those issues, but also in, in, in a point in our resolution. But I don't think we can reach this type of solution at the end of the day because there will be no legal basis to, to do it. So I, I, uh, we are trying, we understand, and we theoretically it would be a good idea, but I think legally it will be impossible. So just not to, mm. to I'm sorry for, for, for this, but, but I, I, I know how important it is. So we are doing, but we are making the reference to, uh, to this in, in our regulation. Over here. Uh, Andrew Kahn, a um, former uh, a governor here at the Institute and a former British civil servant and commission official. Can I take you up, Mrs. Hubner, thank you very much for your presentation. Can I take you up on the cherry picking point and no bespoke deal? It's, it, it gets quite difficult in this country to see that position as being anything but punishing the UK, which is what a lot of people claim and, and everybody in the continent says, no, no, we're not doing that. But lots of other third countries have bes uh, bespoke agreements. Switzerland has one, the Ukraine has one. There's lots of cherry picking which has gone on in the past. Liechtenstein has special arrangements, Andorra has special arrangements. Um, there are all sorts of special arrangements all over the place. So it's rather difficult to understand why Britain um, shouldn't have a bespoke deal. 
uh, and why there shouldn't be some cherry picking because there always is in such agreements. So the, the position that the continental, the EU27 side has taken is, is, is a little difficult to um, see as uh, the same as the approach taken to other third countries. In stage one, the EU27 won every single point and the UK gave up almost every point. If the same happens in stage two, that the EU27's red lines are kept to and therefore the UK's red lines are abandoned and the two sets of red lines are of course incompatible. I mean, there can't be an agreement if they both are respected. Yeah. Is the European Parliament worried that you end up either with a deal where the EU27 has won every single point or you end up with no deal. But in either case, you have a United Kingdom which will be bitter, feel isolated, and if in the case of no deal, impoverished. That is politically very unstable and very undesirable for uh, the continental Europe. And I wonder whether the European Parliament, as a political body, is really rather worried about the prospect of that if the EU27's current position is maintained, you end up with real political instability and, and danger. You know, what I can say, you, you probably know that the European Parliament actually from day one has been um, promoting the idea of association, uh, association agreement with UK. We continue to keep it in our, mm. uh, in our resolutions, but it has never been uh, picked up by, uh, by UK. It is also true that we have never heard the UK really proposing anything coherent or anything that would be like the future uh, agreement uh, or this destination, this just uh, where you really want to, to land at the end of the, of the whole uh, story. Uh, I know that this famous cherry picking understood in a way that is this, the undermining the integrity uh, and the autonomy of the uh, European Union is, is rejected, but maybe what UK will propose, uh, finally, if it proposes something, uh, th there will be a, a positive attitude. I just, we just don't know what UK wants, so we present the principles which must be respected, and we take the, the only point of view that we, are, um, uh, that we are presenting is that anything, you, you might remember the two things that, that actually the British side was always very unhappy with. One was just when we were saying that uh, the, anybody who's leaving the Union cannot be in a more privileged uh, position, taking more privileges as than a, a member state without having the obligations. So that was always treated as a kind of punishment. Why do we say that, that if you leave, then you will have um, less, uh, you cannot have a better situation than a member state. But, but that's actually uh, reflecting the fact of life, which is there will be less integration because you are leaving. So even on, on the issue of citizens, there will be less integration. So there will be elements where you will, uh, you might finally, you might end up with something that is less than full membership, uh, a citizen of a full uh, member of the European Union. And the second principle, which you, which you just mentioned, that we cannot accept that from everything that uh, European integration means, which is basically the single market and the, and the custom union, that you cannot cherry picking meant that you only pick up what, what you like, but you don't, uh, uh, don't, don't you just, what, what fits your, your, your needs or what you like, but you are uh, rejecting all other things. Uh, we, we see this integrity argument as 
we take it very seriously and, and this kind of cherry picking will undermine the integrity of single market. So it's, it's not really seen as a, um, well, I, I really don't think I participate in all those meetings where they were behind the closed doors and I really don't hear uh, anybody on the EU side that would think in terms of, of, of punishing or if it, it comes, I think, from uh, evaluation of the, of the substance of being undermined by a certain approach. Uh, on our side, so I, I but I, I take your point, uh, I will just, we will, uh, but we are looking at, at, at everything and we are worrying about certain things on both sides, of course, but, um, uh, so le let me just take once, uh, you're not, of course, the first one, as you know, and the only one who talks about those things, so I take it again with me. Interesting, one of the points where feelings on either side of the channel are very, very different about whether Michel Barney is too tough. Uh, here, on the um, Just to prolong the, the question, uh, we had a bespoke agreement. It was not um, uh, implemented and, and, uh, and achieved, but it was, it was conceived by the European Commission and it included financial services. Uh, it was TTIP with the US with a regulatory cooperation. So uh, how can it not be possible to think uh, in a similar way uh, to, uh, when it comes to the future relationship. And another question, if you allow me, it, what do you expect the resolution from the Parliament to cover in March? Will it be already ruling out the possibility uh, to have a future relationship uh, when it comes to financial services, an agreement uh, including financial services? And third question, if you allow no, me. No, no, two. Uh, no, two. <laughs> go on. Uh, uh, okay. The, your best. Would you like to say who you are? Yeah, I work for Aviva. My name is Arthur Caribbean. Mm -hmm. Terrific, thank you. If, you for, know, forgive forgive yeah. me, there's a lot of hands on, up. On TTIP, it was terribly difficult to get <coughs> Americans on board. We were the party that wanted to have the financial agreement uh, very strongly embedded in the whole framework of TTIP. But you know, in the financial agreement, there are two, two, two issues. One is regulatory cooperation, which we needed very, very strongly, which was relatively easier to establish, even though not everybody on the European uh, Union side uh, politically sort of wise. Uh, was accepting that, and the second thing was market access to the to the market. It was extremely difficult. The American side didn't want to have the market access in the tra uh, trade uh, agreement. They were opposing it till the very, very, uh, very end of, of our meetings uh, under President uh, Obama. And that was mostly, I think, motivated of not only slightly different nature of uh, of the whole thing, but also to avoid that uh, if you have it in, in a sort of one place, then the trade-offs come much easier. And then there was this risk of, uh, for the American side, they didn't want, they wanted to avoid it, and there was no way. In CETA, we had extremely limited elements of the financial market. Then it's not Michel Barnier's invention that if you look at the free trade agreements across existing in the world today, you can't find a template for having the uh, financial services as part of free trade agreement. It does not exist within the WTO structure. So, so we are looking for, uh, for something that would be specific. And, and additionally, of course, it is also, uh, we understand the importance for UK. But I'm actually surprised a little bit that UK talks only, when we have colleagues, it's mostly city that comes to, Mm -hmm. the UK that comes to, to Brussels to talk about that, but the, 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 you, on the UK side, nobody talks really about services in general, but you have a lot of services which have direct impact on, on the life of citizens here in the UK, including electricity, including a lot of other things. And, um, uh, and 
and also very strongly linked to, to the functioning of European continental companies here as well. So it's much broader issue, and, uh, but, but, but hardly ever raised. So I don't know finally what will be kind of, of what kind of agreement. We are thinking that it will have to be something truly separate. Maybe it will be somehow linked to free trade, I don't know, but certainly there will be something on the financial services that's clear but also you we, we are now still negotiating with the uk participating we are negotiating a whole package of uh, regulations and directives now which which are also creating the uh, the future solutions for the for after brexit for especially for the capital market like emir to um, now and, and and you know this uh, and as a review and everything so we are uh, but you also have to take into account that the european union will have to um, we'll have to protect ourselves against the risks that might come because we don't know how disruptive Brexit can be, how, how we will end up. So, so we also have to create a situa legal situation in Europe that would protect the huge market against mm. any disruptive forces that might uh, come. So it's, it's very complex and very difficult. Certainly the Commission is identifying every problem that, that is linked to, to, to this. and. Certainly, we have to strengthen definitely all the equivalence regimes we have in many regulations. They are weak or they are not there. So this will be uh, equivalence is unilateral, as you know. So we will have uh, also a lot of discussions on this on both sides. So it's, uh, uh, but but there is no solution uh, uh, yet. Uh, well, TTIP, you know the, the story. So we are not back for the time being. Mm. Maybe Thank you for those questions. Elections. Perhaps come and ask your third one afterwards. I can squeeze in, I think, two more. Um, let's go um, maybe three. Let me, let me see what I can do there, um, there, and there. We'll take them all together, please. Uh, my name's Tim Doran. I'm a senior researcher here at the Institute. Um, the UK government is working hard to build relationships with member states, but there hasn't been a lot of engagement with the parliament as far as we've seen. What would the parliament like to hear from the government? And do you think it'd be helpful if the prime minister were to address uh, a plenary session? You mean the European parliament? Yes. Yeah. 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 You, oh. you know, we, we had this dream of, of Mrs. May coming one day, but, but I don't, don't know why nothing came out of this idea. And, uh, I think it was not us who, who, uh, who so you would like that. gave up the idea. It would be very good. Mm. But I don't know. It's, it's, you know. it's not just that Mrs. May is coming and, and people are critical or it's just... It, it has the moment has to be chosen, and uh, frankly, if I can say it, we can talk openly here mm -hmm. or it's under Chatham rules or no, whatever. It, no, no, it isn't. Not um, I think on the side of the <laughs> British government, I would choose very, very carefully the moment which will be the best from the point of view of the of the objective of going there, because mm -hmm. the going there and the just to. Uh, not to be able to say mm. anything um, that would have impact on the ongoing process probably would be a loss of opportunity. So, it, mm. but we, we are certainly open. Mm. Okay, and uh, let me take the other two then. Hi, yes. good afternoon. I'm Mila Sakar from KPMG Brexit team. I was wondering if you think there is any chance that the UK could get um, financial services, a deal including financial services without having to be under ECJ jurisdiction or without having to make concessions on immigration. Okay, thank, thank you. Thank you, you, you that's a bespoke. And let me take this, this um, one last one at the same time. And I'm really sorry that's going to be 
The end of it. It's Masato Kimura, Japanese journalist. My question is about a dispute resolution scheme on FTA and ECJ jurisdictions. So after a court ex-president said to hear, so EFTA has a mutual organization with the European Union. And so and they said EU, United Kingdom can enjoy this scheme. But so, Japan has a negotiation with the European Union, uh, with FTA, so-called EPA. And so uh, it, the most, most difficult issue is uh, dispute resolution scheme, and they shelve the, these issues. And I think so in the past, you didn't have the scale, but you have the scale these days, and you don't want counterpart to uh, sue in your countries, and so uh, what is uh, uh, a transformation of your concept of, of uh, dispute resolution okay. scheme? Thank you very much. Okay, dispute resolution um, um, under an FTA, uh, something like the ECJ or the EFTA court, yeah. as the president of the, of the court has suggested right here. Yeah, that's well, I, I think we, we have been analyzing all the existing models because there are many, <laughs> yeah. many solutions, including in the yeah, famous yeah. Ukrainian, which yeah, probably yeah. looks yeah. the best uh, over there. But we have also talked with, with uh, EFTA is also, uh, one of the first discussions actually was to what extent EFTA um, uh, can be a, a, a solution, especially due to the sort of close links with hmm. between the EFTA court and the EC. Uh, ECJ, we have, uh, uh, I think this is still open. I, whatever I say will be like preempting, but I have no idea what, where we will end up with, with the solution. But I think all available solutions uh, which exist, which are different, uh, they are uh, uh, still under scrutiny, yeah. under analysis, and what will be chosen, uh, yeah. I, I, I don't know at this stage. I, I don't know if anybody knows at this uh, stage, okay. because we are talking about the future. Uh, situation for the for the transition we have that ECJ will yeah. on the EU side will be uh, will stay in, in, in and briefly the the, the the previous question can and this is, this is a, a cake and eat it question can uh, Britain have access to financial services without signing up to the ECJ and freedom of movement uh, the, the simple answer is I don't know uh, because we, it's still everything is ahead of uh, ahead of us. But uh, as I told you, the, uh, this, this this argument against uh, cherry picking is exactly linked to the fact that you you want to you cannot just want to pick up uh, what, what is uh, what fits, what tastes, uh, what responds to your taste, and then just uh, you do not want the second half of it. So so probably. Uh, I can't imagine that uh, that I could give you a positive answer to your uh, to your question. But as I said, we will see how these are the most sensitive, the most difficult, in the sense of the potential impacts also on the on the market. So I, I don't think anybody at this stage could uh, could respond to this to this mm. question. I don't mm. know the answer. An absolutely reasonable point on which to end. Um, thank you all for terrific questions. We clearly could have gone on quite a bit and uh, it has got uh, a lot more time to run, though, as you said, um, October is, at the same sense, sort of tomorrow. Um, Danuta Hubner, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Thank you.